0: Good morning, Lakeview Church. Some of you have been wondering when I was going to be up here to preach again, and today's your lucky day. So, uh, seriously, some of you have made some comments to me over the last few weeks, which I've kind of found humorous. So, uh, someone said, Have you just run out of things to say? Is that why you have other people preach? And uh, someone said, Did you use up all of your sermons? Right? Because I haven't been leading a church for a little while. I've been working in the district office, and maybe the list of sermons has just gotten smaller. Maybe I've used them all up. But my favorite comment came to me when someone said, "Do you get your sermons by mail order, and has there been a shipping delay?" I just thought that was that was awesome. So uh, I do want to just let you know, for those of you here in the room, those of you who are joining us online, I just want to let you know that I'm committed to uh, practicing here at Lakeview Church a team teaching approach. And I wanted to just give you just a quick glimpse into why that's important for us as a church Uh, This is not part of this morning's message, but I do want to just take a moment to let you know why a team teaching approach is really important for us as we move into the future. One of the reasons it's important is because it does give me time to kind of step out of the normal routine of preparing to preach this next Sunday to kind of look at the bigger picture of where our teaching is going over the course of a year. And so when I'm not preaching, you need to know that the time I would normally have spent preparing the sermon for this coming Sunday is spent studying and praying and seeking God for the longer term trajectory of where our teaching is going to go over the next year or so. And so I'm doing more long-range planning during that time. In addition, over these last few weeks, the time I normally would have spent devoted to sermon prep, some of it was devoted to spending time with you in focus groups. We've been doing these vision focus groups across our church. We've been doing them online for some of you who have joined us by Zoom for some of those. And it's been great. We've had nine focus groups so far. We've still got a few more to go, but we've been able to have over a hundred people who have participated in those. By the time we finish up the first week of October, we will have talked to almost 150 people in our congregation and across the ministries here at Lakeview, both our school, our counseling center, and the church. And I don't, I can't speak for anybody else who's been a part of those focus groups, but I leave each one of them energized and excited about the future that God is shaping up for us. So it's been good for me to have a little bit of extra time these last few weeks, not just to think about the long-term trajectory of our teaching, but to be engaged in the vision focus groups. More importantly, I believe in a team teaching approach because uh, we've been entrusted with leaders who are both godly and gifted. Pastors Jared and Jessica, just two members of our ministry team, have done a wonderful job sharing God's word with us. And it's because they're called of God, they're gifted by God, and they are godly teachers who bring that contribution to the body of Christ. For us to bury those gifts or sideline them so we can just have one person on the platform all the time would communicate to God that we are not capable of maximizing all of the gifts that he entrusts to our care. So if we want to ever learn as a church to be faithful with more, we have to be faithful with what God has already given us, which means I won't be the only one up here teaching at our church because he's given us other people who have those gifts and who have those abilities. Another reason that I believe in a team teaching approach is because as a church, we want to be a sending culture. Now, I want to to be very clear about what I'm getting ready to say next. I want Pastor Jared and Pastor Jessica to be with us till Jesus comes back, okay? But I also recognize that when God brings young talent like he has brought to our church, we don't probably get to keep them forever. In the kingdom economy, God calls leaders to serve in a certain place for a certain time, and then he calls them to go serve in other places and to serve other people next. And so while they're here, it's our job to do whatever we can to help our young talent develop and grow into everything that God wants them to be. That includes giving them ample opportunities to develop their preaching gifts. Because when God calls them to go somewhere else, we want them to be ready for that next opportunity, that they would go wherever God calls them to go, and when they get there, they would be prepared and ready to serve the kingdom of God faithfully in that location. And so that means we have to do our part to help these people develop, and we're going to do that. Again, I'm going to do everything I can to hold on to them, but here's what I know about the kingdom economy. We don't own anything. They're not our leaders. This is not our church. In the kingdom economy, it all belongs to God, and we just hold it with open hands. And when God says, I need that resource over here, we just let it go because the master has need of it. And so while they're here, we're going to develop them. They're going to invest in us. And when they go, we're going to get to extend our influence into other parts of the world with people that we might never meet. Finally, I believe in a team teaching approach because uh, we are a diverse church and we're going to grow in diversity. And, and in order to help us do that, we need to make sure that we have different voices and different people speaking the truth of God's word into our congregation, right? I will say God's truth one way and Pastor Jessica will say it another way, probably better than me, but she'll say it another way. And then Pastor Jared will say it another way and other speakers that God is gonna bring onto our team in the upcoming weeks and years, God's gonna use them to say it in a different way. One truth the truth doesn't change. We're not looking for a diversity of truths, one truth, but different voices, different styles. And when we as a body get to hear that, we have a more rich and full understanding of what the body of Christ is intended to be. So I just want to let you know I'm not out of things to say. I did not run out of sermons, and I am not waiting for the mail order to arrive. I just believe that a team teaching approach helps our church move into the future that God has for us. Fair enough. Are we okay? This is yes. And if not, just smile and pretend, okay? It'll be helpful. Well, we started a message series back at the beginning of the month, uh, and we're studying the book of Ephesians over the weeks of September and October, and we started this series at the beginning of the month by uh, kind of looking at the end of the letter. And we started, so not at the beginning, but we started at the end. You're not supposed to read a book that way, but we just decided, let's just kind of begin with the end in mind. And so we went to Ephesians chapter 6, where Paul says, put on the full armor of God so that you can withstand in the evil day. And having done everything else, you can stand. Paul reveals his purpose for writing this letter to this congregation of both Jews and Gentiles in the first century city of Ephesus. They've been brought together around the name and person of Jesus Christ, but they're living in a culture that's not godly a culture that seems to be kind of tossed back and forth with different doctrines, different ideologies, different philosophies, different ways of approaching life. And Paul's writing to this group of Christians to say to them, your goal is by the time you get to the end of this journey to be able to stand. Now, I don't have to tell you this because you already know. We're living in the midst of a shaky time. Right? It seems like things that we have held true and dear for a long time seem to be crumbling at the foundations. It seems like things are uncertain and turbulent. It seems like things are being thrown back and forth. And the ground that we once stood firm on, we're not quite sure about anymore. And so we need this message from the book of Ephesians because we need to be able to just be people who stand. Right, The world around us can crumble and fall away, but because we are planted on the solid rock, we are going to stand. That's the kind of life that we're trying to live. And so we've been asking this question in the series, what does it take for us to build a rock-solid life? A rock-solid life. And uh, I was reading not too long ago out of a book, and it talked about the fact that we lived in a VUCA world. V U C A. Volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous. That sounds like a good description of our day and age, doesn't it? That's the kind of world we live in. And yet we have this wonderful opportunity if we, as followers of Jesus, are planted on Jesus Christ, who, by the way, isn't surprised by anything going on in our world, he's not shaken. He didn't get caught off guard. He's not off balance right now. No, he hasn't moved. He hasn't changed. He's not shifting. Nothing's different about him today. And we're we're connected to him. We stand on him. We can have a rock solid life in the midst of this VUCA world that we live in. So we've been talking about that in this series. And Pastor Jared talked about the fact that we got to Take off the old self, put on the new self. Remember the hideous sweater that Jared was wearing? And then he put on this nice coat that was laying over here on this side of the stage. Remember that? Because this journey of becoming rock solid in this world means we have to change the way we live. It's not just putting Jesus in our heart and living however we want to or living the way we used to. No, it's actually becoming a different person. Take off the old self, put the new self on. Last week, Pastor Lenny did a great job of reminding us to keep the aperture of our heart wide open so the light of Christ shines in and hits the dark film of our lives and changes us to be children of light. And we become the light of Christ in a dark world, right? So we go out not just as people who have His light inside of us, but we shine that light in a dark world. And so we've been talking about that. This morning, I want to talk to you from Ephesians chapter 2. And I want to talk to you about the trajectory of our lives, the trajectory that leads to a rock-solid life. Now, these verses were just read for us, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, and I know that you've heard them, but I want you to just have your Bibles open, whether that's a, an actual paper Bible, you know, like the old-fashioned kind, or if you have it on your phone or your device, uh, I want to just encourage you to have this passage open because we're going to refer to it a lot as we walk through our time together today. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1-10, through 10, Paul communicates this idea that there's a trajectory of faith that our lives need to move on. It's a trajectory that if we're, if we're committed to it, if we'll follow it, if we'll walk this trajectory out, we'll see our lives move towards becoming more rock solid in this world in which we live. And so it's really critical for us, I think, to understand this trajectory. And when we read Ephesians 2, kind of the big idea... Right? I don't like saying, if you don't remember anything else I said, because then you might just tune out the rest that I'm going to say, so don't do that. But if you don't remember anything else that I say, please remember this, that the trajectory of a life of faith, uh, the trajectory of a rock-solid life moves from death to life and from self to mission. I want to say it one more time. A rock-solid life moves along a trajectory from death to to life, and from self to mission. It's important for us to grasp this truth because what I think is happening in the church, and I think it's been happening probably over the last hundred years in the evangelical church, is that we have communicated a gospel that makes Jesus an accessory to our life. I don't think we started out with an intention to do this, but, but we've, we've kind of decided to accessorize with Jesus. Now, I don't accessorize. I'm, I'm pretty, pretty basic in the way I approach my attire. But my wife, you know, she has to get the whole outfit right? And she's not here today uh, because my son had a little mild concussion yesterday in a soccer game. So she's at home with him. So I can talk about her because she's not here. She's watching online, but this is a safe space. (laughs) She likes to go out and buy the whole outfit, right? It's got to be the right pants with the exact right top. And, And then there's a scarf or the right necklace, with exactly the right kind of bracelet or accessory that's going to just make it all come together perfectly, right? And we, we just add these pieces on. We might only use that piece in certain situations or certain opportunities or certain moments when it makes us look really good. And here's what I'm afraid of, that that's what we've done with Jesus in our modern culture. We communicated a gospel that said, all you need to do is accept Jesus in your heart, and if you do, your sins are forgiven and you're on your way to heaven, and you can just go on living your life. That's making Jesus an accessory. Right? It's just accessorizing with Jesus. It's just saying, Jesus, I'm going to just use you when you make my outfit look good. I'm going to use you, Jesus, just to, just to have enough religion. Enough religion to get by, enough religion to look the part when I go to church, enough religion to fit into this group of people, but I'm not interested, Jesus, in you taking over my life. I'm not interested in you, Jesus, being the Lord. And I think in the evangelical church, it's an unintended consequence. No one set out to do this, but we communicated we want Jesus to be your Savior, but we forgot to tell you that Jesus doesn't want to be your Savior. He only wants to be your Lord. Jesus is not interested in being an accessory to your life. He actually wants to control it all. Every part of it. And so here's what we have in the evangelical church. We have immature Christians. People who never grew up into the faith. They never grew up into full maturity. And why didn't they grow up? Because they didn't know they were supposed to. Nobody communicated that message to them. They thought they had Jesus in their heart. They thought they had enough of Jesus to get into heaven, but the reality is Jesus wants to take over your life so that heaven can become a reality here where we live as more and more people are under the influence of the kingdom of God. See, we need to understand this trajectory of moving from death to life and from self to mission because we need to grow up in our faith. A rock solid life is not a life that just has Jesus in your heart, it's a life that has Jesus as Lord over all, shaping every part of who you are and working through your life to bring change and transformation to this world. So again, the big idea for today is this, the trajectory of faith moves us from death to life and from self to mission. Now over these last few weeks, I've been kind of digging into Ephesians chapter 2 and there are Maybe just four things that I want to share with us uh, in the remainder of our time this morning. So the first thing I want to share with you is that if you want to move on this trajectory from death to life and from self to mission, if you want to grow up in your faith, the first thing and maybe the most important thing is that you recognize the work of God. And the work of God is grace. You want to move from death to life. You want to move from self to mission. Let me tell you how you don't follow that trajectory. If you're trying to do it in your own strength, that's not going to work. If you're trying to do it in your own power, by the sheer force of your will, by your determination, by your self-discipline, by your own striving and your own energy, if you think your personality or your charisma is going to be enough to help you come back to life in Jesus and help you actually engage in transforming the world in the way that God wants it to be transformed, you're always, always, always going to fall short. Always going to fall short. Because the kind of work that we're talking about, growing up into maturity in the faith, it is only a work of God that can do it. You can't raise yourself back to life. You can't actually engage yourself in transforming the world in your own strength and power. It's not enough. You need the work of God. You need the grace of God at work in your life. Look at the text, right? I told you to have your Bibles open. Just look at the text with me because it says it pretty clearly, right? Ephesians chapter two, what does it say? It says, we all used to live once in the passage of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind, but God not but you, you didn't do this work, but God, who being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us made us alive together with Christ. Who did the work? God did the work. You didn't do the work. It's God's work. It's a work of grace. What does the passage say? For by grace you have been saved. Right? And why? Why does that matter? Well, because it's not your works. So you can't go around boasting saying, look at how spiritual I am, look at how great I am. No, you can only ever say, look at how awesome God is. Because it's not your work. It's the work of God. And in case you didn't quite see it in the passage, what does he say? He says, uh You're saved by grace through faith. And this is not of yourselves. You couldn't even figure faith out on your own. But fortunately, God through his grace helped you figure faith out so that you could actually be saved and changed. This is the work of God. And I want to just call you back to this idea that if you are trying to do it in your own strength, if you're striving, if you find yourself putting effort in and not getting traction in this life of faith, I want to just remind you to stop striving. Stop striving. You're not good enough. You can't do it. You do not have the capacity to raise yourself back to life. You actually need a miracle of God to see that occur. Which means all you can do is just open yourself up for the grace of God to do its work in you. You want to live a rock solid life? Rest in the grace of God. Stop striving in your own strength. Stop trying to do it by your own effort and your own work. Just let God do his work in you. We need the work of God if we want to become rock solid. But we also need the people of God. The people of God. Christianity, by its very nature, is a communal faith. It is intended to be done together as a body of people. Which is why I find it quite humorous when people say things like, well, I love Jesus, but I don't love the church. Or I love Jesus, but I don't go to church. Or I follow Jesus, but I'm such an introvert. Churches, that's just not for me. I just don't think you get those options. I mean, you can say them, but you're wrong. You need the church. You can't be a Christian outside the church. Because it goes against everything that Jesus intended for the church to be. So you can't say that you love Jesus, but you don't love his people. You you can't say that you follow Jesus, but you're not going to be a part of the primary instrument and vehicle through which God shapes his people in this world. You you can't say those two things. They don't go together. Now, I know I'm preaching to the choir. I mean, I know you're not all in the choir, but but I'm preaching to the people who are here. Right? You're here. You're a part of the church. You're engaged. You're involved. But I want to just remind you, what we do matters as a community of faith. You say, where do you see this in the text? Well, it's really all over the Bible. But I want to just point out a couple of things that we can't always see in our English translations. Because the Bible, you know, wasn't written in English. It was written in Hebrew in the Old Testament and Greek in the New Testament. And in the New Testament, many of the passages that we translate, the word you... When we read that as kind of North American individualized people, we think that the author is saying, you, Joellen, you should do this, right? We are thinking that the author is talking to you as an individual, but that's usually not what the New Testament says, In fact, if you really dig in to the Greek New Testament, what you find is that most references to the word you have nothing to do with you, Bob Birchall. They have everything to do with you as the church. If it was written in English uh, the right way, it might say y'all. right you as a body of people so so almost every time not every time but almost every time you read the word you in the new testament it is y'all right so when it says you should work out your salvation with fear and trembling it's not you as an individual it's you as a body you should do that now this is true all across the new testament but it's especially true in the book of ephesians Almost every single time Paul uses the word you in this letter to the church in Ephesus, he's talking to the body of people. This is significant because he's writing to a group of Christians who are both Jews and Gentiles. Now you've got to understand what's going on in the first century, Jews and Gentiles. This is like every group that shouldn't be together in the same room is in the same room together. It's going across political boundaries, racial boundaries, ethnic boundaries, socioeconomic boundaries. It's breaking every dividing wall of hostility, which in fact Paul is going to say a little bit later in chapter 2. And this body of people have come together despite their diversity. This is a message we need for today. Today. Right? The church has to come together. We cannot be Democrat and Republican. The last time I checked, we belong to a kingdom that is not of this world. We don't elect our king. He's just king. For all places, in all times. Don't ever forget it. And no one we elect is more important than the king that we have devoted our lives to. I have watched politics divide the church on Facebook and literally, for the love of God, would you watch what you post on Facebook? Literally, for the love of God. If you love God, please watch what you post on Facebook. Have something of substance to say that speaks to the condition of our world that's not somehow rooted to some divisive thing that's going to tear people apart. And don't let any Facebook post that you would put out there prohibit someone from coming to faith in Jesus Christ because you're representing Jesus poorly. Please don't do that. The church has to be a place where we can come together across those earthly boundaries. And that's all they are. Let's elevate our game to kingdom living. Right? The church in Ephesus knew how to do this. And so they came together across socioeconomic lines, across ethnic lines, across racial lines, across political divides. They came together and they were one body, one church under one Lord with one faith and one baptism, one God and Father over all and through all and in all in that church in Ephesus. And we need that in our day today. Some of you are catching on when it's right to say amen. That was a great job. So when Paul writes to you, he's writing to a community of faith. And then in the middle of Ephesians chapter 2, when he says, you were dead in your sins and transgressions, he's not talking about you as an individual. He's saying you as the body of believers. You were dead in your sins and transgressions. You were children of wrath. You, You were disobedient to God, but God who is rich in mercy, made us alive together with Christ. Can you see all the communal language in that statement? He's making us alive together with Christ. You need the church. You need the church. You cannot do this alone. You cannot move along the trajectory of faith in your own strength and power, and you cannot do it by yourself. You need the work of God, and you need the people of God. Cyprian of Carthage in 251 A.D. said it this way, you cannot have God as your father without having the church as your mother. You need both. You need God's work in your life and you need the people of God coming alongside you to weep with you when you weep, to rejoice with you when you rejoice, to encourage you and to spur you on to love and good deeds, even more so as we see the day approaching. You need the church. Martin Luther, the great reformer of the 1500s, said very much the same thing when he says, the church is the mother who begets and bears every Christian through the word of God. You need the church which is why when we say you should be a part of a small group where you get to fellowship with other believers and you get to pray together and study the scriptures together and hold one another accountable and do life with each other, it's not just an invitation to join a program of the church. It's an invitation to move yourself deeper into the community of faith and become a part of what God is doing in our midst. So shameless plug, if you're not in a small group, make sure you just see me right after church and we'll help you find one. Because you need to be a part of the community. You need to be a part of the community. You cannot move along the trajectory without that. Now, I gotta go fast because the kids ministry people are gonna hurt me if I don't. So. Two more things, very quickly. I want you to see from Ephesians chapter two, the way of God which is life. When the grace of God is at work in us as the people of God, we come to life. Now we've often, in the evangelical church, moved this to that moment immediately following our death. And I just want to be real clear that I believe at that moment we'll never be more alive than we are at that moment. Right? The process of dying is not not the end of life. It, It is the beginning of life as it was intended to be. So I believe that. But I just want you to know that life doesn't begin after you die. It actually starts now. When you come to faith in Jesus, you used to be dead. But if you are in Jesus, you are now alive. And that means that there's a transformation that occurs. And I've already touched on this this morning, but I just want to say it again. Listen, we have to live our lives like Christ. Jesus is not an accessory. He's not just something we put in our heart and then we just live our lives as we want or, or we just go about our lives and do whatever we like to do, whatever we find to be fun or fulfilling or pleasurable and then we just have Jesus on the side when we need him. No, no, Jesus has to become Lord. Lord. And he has to reshape our thoughts, our ideas, our perceptions, our inclinations, our attitudes, our, the bent of our lives. Every part of who we are has to be reshaped by Jesus so that we live as if he were living in our place. And I don't need to tell you this, but our world needs to see Christians who live out the character of Christ. I need to see that. I need to see people who are people of conviction with deep compassion for those who don't believe like we believe, but we are standing firm on our convictions and we're living out our testimony in front of a watching world. We need a church like that. And that's the way of God. When we give ourselves to the grace of God among the people of God, we come back to life. And we need this. We need this. Last thing. We need to think about the purpose of God, which is mission. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 says, We are now God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do all of the good works which he prepared beforehand for us to do so that we could walk in them. I just want to be real clear that what I said at the beginning is 100% true. You, you can't actually do enough works to save yourself. You can't bring yourself back to life. You can't change you, your, yourself or the world. You don't have enough capacity to do that. So works won't save you. But I just want to make it clear that you were saved for works. Right? You're not going to be saved by works. But Ephesians 2.10 makes it really, really clear that you were created in Christ Jesus for good works. That's your job. That's your mission. You say, what kind of good works? Well, anything that advances the mission of God in our world is a good work. So when you walk across uh, the street to serve a neighbor with the love of Christ, you're doing good works. When you respond and share your faith to a questioning coworker or neighbor, you're doing good works. When you stand for justice in our culture by speaking for those who have no voice or those who have been pushed to the margins, you are doing good works. When you volunteer to get involved in a ministry program of the church, whether that's something that serves inside of the church to help the church function or whether it's an outreach ministry that helps the church reach more people for Jesus, that is a good work. Whenever you employ your time, talent, and treasure in work that advances the purposes of God of making this world different and better, making it the world that God intended for it to be, you are doing good works. And I want to invite you to do more good works. Not in order to be saved, but in order to fulfill the purposes of God. You say, well, how could we, you know, how could we do that? What are some ways we could get involved? I'm so very glad that you asked. I got one primary thing that I want to share with you today. This is something that's coming up that you can be involved in. We are relaunching our midweek Kid Street ministry. Now, some of you might be familiar with Kid Street, some of you might not. Kid Street is our midweek Wednesday night program, and it is an outreach program. We go out, we pick up kids, we bring them in. There's 30 or more kids that will become a part of that program this fall, and they're going to get to come into the church. They're going to get to hear the Word of God. They're going to get to learn about who God is, and they're going to get an invitation to actually begin to live their lives in a way that honors God. This is an important ministry for our church to be engaged in. It's not the only ministry our church does, and there are other ways you can be involved. But we need 15 people. That's what Miss Kayla told me. We need 15 people. I'd like for her to come back from her vacation this weekend and have a list of like 20 or 25 so she's got like a bench. Right? So if, if somebody gets injured in a game, we can, you know, just call somebody off the bench right? So let's, let's not just have just enough volunteers, let's get more than enough so we can adequately staff this ministry. Now it's going to start on October 14th, so we've got a few weeks here, but here's what you need to do if you want to be involved in this ministry, is you need to text the word children to 765-222-5937, and that's going to put your name on a list, and Miss Kayla is going to be in touch with you as soon as she gets back from her vacation, that was delayed because of COVID. They were supposed to go on vacation way earlier this year, and it got pushed back. So, uh, so they're gone this weekend, but here's the deal. She should have a list of volunteers. And you say, well, what am I volunteering for? Well, that's the suspense of it all, right? No, let me tell you, we need, <laughs> we need bus riders, So people who just ride along with the kids in the bus to keep things orderly, which is especially true as we try to keep physical distancing in those buses. We need bus drivers. We need people to uh, be small group leaders. And we need people to just be a part of the program to help uh, those who are leading just keep things organized and on task and on purpose. So I want to just say it more directly. Some of you actually need to rearrange your schedules to be engaged in this. This is really, really important. It's really, really important. So I want you to think about it, pray about it. and Actually, I don't want you to think about it or pray about it. I want you just to take out your phone and text children to that number and say, I can sign up to be a part of this. It's going to run for six weeks this fall. You can give six Wednesday nights to this ministry. So take out your phone, text, and let us know that you want to be involved and we'll be in touch with you uh, to give you more specific details. Now, in kind of closing out this last point, I want to just remind you of the words of Jesus. Jesus himself in the Sermon on the Mount said this, let your good works shine before men that they might see your good deeds and glorify your Father who is in heaven. I want to just invite you, call you to the good works which God prepared in advance for you to do. Now, as we close this morning, there are three possible next steps that you might take. I want to run through them very quickly. First, some of you need to engage at a deeper level with the church. You can't go it alone. So you might need to join a small group. And whether you're watching online or whether you're here in the room, you just need to know that you can join a small group. We have online groups. We have in-person groups. We want you to be a part of a small group. So if you're not a part of a small group, you might consider joining. You might also notice on the bottom of your bulletin, there's a a little ad there for membership. Some of you might need to take a step to make a more formal commitment to membership within the local church. I wanna encourage you to do that. We've got membership classes coming up. You can figure out what it means to be a member before you make the commitment. But I would encourage you to take those steps into deeper engagement with the life of our church. A second possible action step is that some of you need to volunteer to serve. Now, that could be Kid Street, and I hope many of you will do that. But we have need of volunteers all across our church. I don't know of any ministry that says, nah, we got all the volunteers we could ever use or want. Every single ministry says we could always use more people whether that's the worship team, whether that's ushers or greeters, whether that's parking lot attendants or youth group sponsors or kids ministry assistants, whether that's people working on the tech team, we need volunteers everywhere. And we just want to invite you to get involved, be engaged. Now, the third possible action step uh, this morning is for just a group of you who are here in this room and you've never made a decision to follow Jesus Christ. I don't know if that's you this morning, but if you're in the room or you're watching online and you've never made a decision to follow Christ, I wanna just talk to you for just a moment this morning to say this is an opportunity you have to to accept Jesus and to begin to follow him with your life. There's no better time than the present. As we read this passage of scripture, maybe you realize that the you used to be dead in your sins and transgression isn't a past tense statement for you. It's actually where you're living right now that you are separated from God in this very moment. You're not living the life God called you to live. And maybe today you say, you know what? This is my day. I'm gonna decide to follow Jesus. So here's what I wanna ask all of us to do. I want everybody just to bow your heads, close your eyes, nobody looking around because I really just want this to be an opportunity for people to have a moment between them and God. And if you're here this morning and you realize in your life that you're, you're separated from God, you're not following Jesus, your sins aren't forgiven, you've not been made alive with Jesus, I wanna invite you to follow him today. And so whether you're here in the room, or whether you're watching online, if you want to make a decision to follow Jesus, what I want to ask you to do is just, just raise your hand right where you're at. I'm not gonna embarrass you. I'm not gonna call you up front. Just want you to raise your hand so I can pray for you. Anybody? If you're watching online and you're making a commitment, right now you're raising your hand, I obviously can't see it. So what I wanna invite you to do is just reach out to me directly. You can send me an email, cwilliams at lakeviewwesleyan.org. Just let me know that you've made a commitment and I would love nothing more than to follow up with you this next week uh, and just have conversations about what this means for you and what your next steps might be. So I wanna encourage you, if you're making that commitment watching online, reach out to me so that I can follow up with you directly. And I wanna pray for all of us and then Pastor Jessica's gonna come uh, and lead us through the close of our service. God, this morning, we're so grateful. Grateful for your grace kindness that you've expressed to us through Jesus Christ that we once were dead in our sins and our transgressions but we've been made alive in Jesus today thank you God and thank you God not just for the work of grace but thank you for your people who journey with us who hold us accountable who support us who encourage us who strengthen us And God, thank you that you've called us to life and thank you that you've called us to mission. Would you help us as a church continue to grow up into those things that we would, as we walk with you, become more and more and more alive so that we reflect your life wherever we go and God, help us grow up into your purposes to fulfill the good works that you've created us to do so that your mission can advance in this world. God, we are your people this morning, and we are grateful, and we are simply asking that you would continue to do your work in us, moving us from death to life, moving us from self to mission, so that we can be rock solid in this world in which we live. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.